Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This second season of the Next Step Podcast is focused on the resource Pandra Anu, a hymn journal of trust and confidence. And this episode 8 will focus on chapter 8, I Am Trusting the Lord Jesus. Perhaps you'll want to add color to the artwork on page 73 as you listen to this podcast. Today I welcome Conrad Gempf to our podcast. He's a lecturer of New Testament at the London School of Theology. After a brief prayer, you'll hear Conrad read the Matthew 6 passage on page 75, and he now will discuss what it means to have a God who actually knows your daily needs and hears your prayers. After a brief conversation, I'll turn the page and I'll read the devotion on page 76, the way it's written there in the book. And then Conrad and I will also discuss the hymn. The lyrics are reprinted on page 77 as we discuss some of the verses there and how that helps us see and lean into our dependence on Jesus in a daily kind of way. Then we'll go on a bit of a tangent, a journey that I hope you enjoy as much as I did. We'll cover a wide range of territory focusing on different animals that show up in the teachings of Jesus. Everything from dogs and pigs to sheep and goats and fish and a really interesting discussion on camels and the eyes of needles. But whatever animals you have in your life or whatever you're facing today, welcome. I'm glad you're here. It's always good to have you back on the Next Step Podcast. Conrad Gempf joins us back on the Next Step Podcast today. Conrad, welcome. Thank you. Good to be back. Where in the world are you today? I'm still in London, still in my house in a suburb of London in the north uh, northwest corner. And uh, what's what's going on in London these days? I don't know. I'm stuck inside. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of us are. The England is starting to open up a little bit more. Masks are required if you go into a building, but yeah. I haven't been going into any buildings, so I've been pretty much self-isolating. Any word on classes for the fall? The college is planning on being, the campus being open, but teaching in a sort of hybrid mode. And I myself am thinking, unless there's dramatic developments with vaccines and treatments, I'll probably start the autumn teaching remotely. We'll see how it goes. Well, thank you for spending some of your your summer days with us. It's so good to have you back on on the podcast. Let's begin with a word of prayer before we look at chapter 8, I Am Trusting Thee, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and be present with us today. You inspire these words to be written. Will you please also inspire our hearts and minds? Be present in our conversation. Help us to see Jesus more and more clearly and receive what you would give us today. Continue to walk with us on this journey. Amen. Matthew six twenty six to 34. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet, I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, 
what should we eat? Or what should we drink? Or what should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow can be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. (laughs) Thanks, Conrad. Uh, Reading through Jesus' teachings in Matthew 6, is there anything that jumped out at you particularly today? I I love his his needling, almost. (laughs) It's a it's a good natured, loving needling, but it's it it just makes it would make me feel so so comical, so silly, and and think of myself in a comical way that I should be worried about these things when when God clothes flowers and takes care of these birds. The first time I saw a video of the Gospels where Jesus like smiled all the time. Uh, really changed my view because uh, as annoying as it was, because he really did smile like all the time, still there are a bunch of things that when you say them with a twinkle in your eye, they just mean something different. A part of the way some of your writing has helped me understand Jesus better is understanding the twinkle. And when you read it that way, and when you say it that way, it seems like Jesus is like smiling while he says this, not like waving a finger at you. I think so. I think he's sort of doing both, of course. Mm -hmm. But Part of the incarnation is really, he empathizes as well. He understands the feelings. And and they are comical feelings that we should be so worried when we have a God who's in charge of the universe. That's a fairly famous quote there at the end, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I've heard it also said, you're borrowing trouble from tomorrow or something like that, where you're, you begin to worry about what's going on tomorrow and that affects your, your day to day. Again, I, I think he could be saying it with a smile on his face. You know, enough is enough. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you got enough to worry about as it is? I think it's interesting that it's the Gentiles that seek after all these things. Uh, like, are the Gentiles the bad guys in the scenario or what? In a, in a way they are, but the contrast is really where the Jews feel that they have a God who's interested in everything about their lives. And the Gentiles have gods who you just want to stay out of their way. And mm. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't want to mess with the, the Greek gods. Yeah. You want to, you want to stay off their radar. Yeah. As opposed to the God of the Hebrew Bible, which is a God who's intimately involved in what's going on in people's lives in a good way. In a good way. And is listening to you all the time and is interested in you all the time. And, It's a huge difference with Gentiles. They have to go to the temple of the God to speak to the God. Mm. Whereas Jews, it's a a crazy idea in the ancient world that you can pray to this God wherever you are, and he might hear you. It's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we certainly have trouble sufficient for our day today, whether it's coronavirus or just the, the economic impacts and work and you know, starting to wonder about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear doesn't seem so far-fetched. And yet to know you've got a God intimately involved and cares about those kind of details that you can talk to any time. That's, that's a pretty cool, that, that would be enough. If we got nothing else out of this chapter, that would be yeah. enough. But let me, let me just turn the page and read the devotion on page 76. Of course, all the devotions in Ponder and New take their title from one of the phrases in one of the hymn verses, and this one is called Forever and for All. 
The birds and flowers don't try hard to entrust their lives to God's care. They just do. They don't really have a choice, but then maybe we don't really either. We can be anxious about that dependence, but being anxious doesn't help. So Jesus invites you to trust his heart and his provision for everything you need. Jesus wants you to know you receive from his Father everything you have. But more than that, Jesus wants you to live out the kind of simple, natural, and complete dependence you see in the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Birds don't even recognize their need, and yet they live in dependence and trust. You do recognize your need, even to the point of anxiety, so your dependence can sometimes feel like a threat and trust can be hard to come by. You trust Jesus and depend on Jesus for big things like forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. Well, that's good. Jesus wants you to need him for all of that. And then Jesus wants you to translate that trust into the everyday, ordinary, ongoing needs of your daily, human, bodily existence. You get both. You get to turn to Jesus for your small, personal, daily needs, as well as for the big, universal, eternal kingdom of God. You don't have to try hard to entrust your week and your eternity to God's care. Just lean into your everyday need and live a life of dependence. Just like the birds. Of course, that devotion relates to this hymn, I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus. And I really like this last verse of I'm trusting thee, Lord Jesus. I'm trusting thee, Lord Jesus, never let me fall. I'm trusting thee forever and for all. And I take that to mean I'm entrusting the big stuff like eternal salvation to you, Jesus, and, and also all the little details of my everyday life. I want to have that kind of relationship with Jesus that I, I depend on him for all the big stuff and I get to depend on and, and receive from him uh, all the little things too. The way that you read the devotional reminds me of um, when my daughter was little, we used to watch Aladdin, the Disney film, over and <laughs> yeah, over yeah. again. And there is this place at the end where the genie does what you do, the the um, the contrast of huge, unimaginable power and eeny bitty living space. Yeah. <laughs> and you sort of did that. That reminds me, I got the same thing out of the hymn, but not so much from the last verse, but from the middle two, hmm. where in verse three, we're talking about the big things, the cleansing and the crimson flood and the making me holy by your blood, which is huge cosmic stuff. And then the next verse is, I'm trusting you to guide me. You alone shall lead every day, every hour, supplying all my need. It, it, it just brings it back to this little bitty living space, this little <laughs> bit of a life that I have myself, as opposed to God's unimaginable sacrifice. It's lovely. Great cosmic salvation, itty bitty hourly needs. <laughs> exactly. That's good. I really appreciate the fact that Jesus uses the birds of the air here as, a, as an example. And the scripture comes back to all kinds of animals in all kinds of different ways, even in the teachings of Jesus. So as we sat here today, I thought it'd be fun to just think through some of the teachings of Jesus where animals show up. So we've got Matthew 6 here, the birds of the air. Any other examples of animals that jump out to you? It's great because the birds of the air 
and the and the grass of the fields are precisely this e- little eeny bitty life mm. business that that we're talking about. And he uses the birds several times. He, he has a very very similar thing going on in um, Matthew ten, where he says, "Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care." That the mm. father's care is enormous, and the, the number of things that God must be concerned about are just mind-boggling. And yet one little sparrow, which, you know, it is not much, matters to God. I think what I especially love about Matthew 10 is that the parallel passage in Luke 12 isn't exactly the same. So in Matthew 10, one penny will buy you two sparrows. Mm-hmm. But in Luke 12, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? <laughs> and yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Now, if a penny buys you two sparrows, you'd think <laughs> that two pennies would buy you four sparrows. But instead, in Luke, you're getting five. And I think it must be that there's a sale going on. <laughs> buy four, get one free. <laughs> Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? And that makes it all the more amazing. Not one of them is forgotten by God. And that means not even the one that the merchant throws in for free into the bargain. That It's so insignificant. Not even that one falls without God being concerned about it. I just love that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, talk about the the almost so small that you could even throw one in for free, and God still cares about that detail. That's amazing. What what are you buying these sparrows for? I'm afraid it's not to use as a model on a greeting card um, or to use as a pet. (laughs) Probably people are buying these in the marketplace, five for two pennies, as as food, as as snacks. There's not much meat on a sparrow, but... They must have eaten sparrow, and they're buying them, yeah, as snacks. So so this is a buffalo wild wings kind of uh, sparrow, or a... Uh, w- would you like to supersize your sparrow meal? Buy, buy four, get one free. That's I think that's so, awesome. yes. I with think with a large Coke. On. You know, that reminds me that what we imagine of animals and our interaction with animals, I, I don't eat sparrow the the way people interacted with animals in the Bible is not exactly the same way we do. Sometimes it's just an experience thing, uh, and sometimes there are significant cultural differences. Well, of, of course, pigs, we don't really interact with pigs, but pigs in the ancient Near East, well, especially in Palestine, whether you were Samaritan or, or Jewish, pigs would have been taboo. And pigs show up in, in the teaching of Jesus, like uh, oh, the parable of the, of the lost son. He ends up living with pigs and and eating the kinds of things that pigs eat which is part of what the making make pigs unclean is all the all the nasty stuff they eat dogs are like that too dogs eat nasty stuff of course you've got something like the proverb a dog returns to its own vomit but not just that in the teachings of jesus oh there's an example it's the Syrophoenician woman right and jesus is like it's not appropriate to, to to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs i mean this is this is not a, a domestic pet. Dogs in the first century uh, were not, they're, they're wild packs, they're junkyard dogs, they're, they're scavengers, they're, you don't use them as pets. And, and the woman's answer is just brilliant. Even, even the dogs get the scraps from the table. I think that's it'd be a little bit closer to proximity to something like even the rats come out 
and, and eat the stuff that fell into the carpet. It's almost offensive how Jesus compares her to a dog, but she embraces that in order to come with the statement of faith that Jesus marvels at. That's a whole other story too. But I think things like pigs and dogs, uh, we don't think of them. We don't experience them the, them the same way. I wonder though, there are some some animals maybe that we do see the same way. So when Jesus talks about looking over Jerusalem, he, he says something like he wishes that he could gather the, gather all these people like chicks under his mm. wings. That must be, they must have had a similar reaction to soft, fluffy little chicks that we do and, and think of them as something to be cuddled. Do you think so? Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think that domestic image of the chicks is which animals count as domestic and which animals count as wild is something that's lived out in daily experience that wouldn't necessarily be... I, I don't have chicks in my backyard. I, I don't have... I've got squirrels. Squirrels are cute and cuddly unless they're like eating into your electrical wires or <laughs> building nests in your attic. And then they're just, they're just varmints. You just got to get rid of them. Oh, oh, foxes are like that too. So foxes for us in our standard imagery are clever and sly... Uh, foxes in in the imagery of Jesus' day were varmints. They were animals. When when Jesus says, go tell that fox, and he's talking about King Herod, go tell that fox, I'm going to do what I'm doing. He's not saying Herod is clever. Uh, If anything, he is saying Herod is a varmint. He's a a pest. He's uh, hardly worth noticing, except that he gets really annoying. So Jesus is using fox imagery different there as well. Uh, you talked about hens gathering. I think that's that's a beautiful image of, of gathering in. When I think of gathering in and animals, I think of uh, some of the parables Jesus tells related to gathering. Of course, something like, I will make you fishers of men. That's a, a gathering in the peoples. That gathering goes then also to end times judgment parables. There's Jesus can tell the parable with fish. So you gather in the net full of fish and then you sort them. That sorting of animals would have been very common for Jesus in his day, the lived experience of the people he was walking around with. And of course you get the sheep and the goat stuff too, right? So that's a gathering in of the of a flock and then you sort out the sheep and the goats. And, and one of the things that's interesting for me in that imagery is, is that while sheep tend to be the ones that follow and are more passive and more docile, it's the goats that are more individualistic, more stubborn. They're more likely to, they'll survive on their own and they're fine surviving on their own. So it would have been common to have sheep and goats in the same field and you would have had to separate them then. But also I think just that nature of if you're if you're on your own, if you're independent, if you don't need Jesus, uh, that that's how you end up being a goat instead of a, a sheep. It gets back to that dependence thing again. It's not just the view of animals that's different. It's also w- which animals are domestic and familiar mm, and which yeah. are strange and exotic. Mm. So for us, a dog is is domestic. And for, for a city boy like me, sheep and goats are strange animals. Yeah. But for these people, sheep and goats would have been ordinary. Another animal that's ordinary, and, and you're bringing up stubbornness, makes me think of another time that Jesus used a stubborn animal in his teaching a camel would have been very familiar to them probably and camels are notoriously stubborn Hmm. again aladdin watch out they spit (laughs) but 
When Jesus tells this story about it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, mm -hmm. I wonder whether he's talking about the stubbornness as much as the size. Hmm. It looks as though there was an ancient proverb to express impossibility. You would talk about trying to get an elephant through an eye of a needle. We even have a statement in the Talmud, in the Jew ancient Jewish writings of the Talmud, we have the elephant through an eye of a needle as as a figure for something impossible. And I, I just wonder, the evidence for it isn't great, but I just wonder whether that was the phrase that everybody knew. And Jesus, again, with this smile on his face or twinkle in his eye, changed it to camel to indicate that it's not just the size that's the problem. It's also the stubbornness, hmm. because as you pointed out, what he's talking about in, in, in many of these stories and, and the connection with our hymn for today, of course, is the, the rich person trying to go through like a camel through an eye of a needle is, a, is about an attitude of not trusting the Lord Jesus, but trusting in my own wealth and trusting in what I have. And his barrier, of course, was that he needed to let go of that stuff in, and follow Jesus. That trust is at the heart of what we're talking about, but let me just double click on that camel imagery for a second because you said a couple things that sparked for me. One is, I mean, this elephant business, it, it seems to me the elephant is not in the lived experience or in the common parlance of kind of people in Jerusalem in Jesus' day. Why would that oh, be a wow. significant Oh, Yes, image? it is. It yeah. actually is. Um, during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jews were involved in all sorts of things, and one of the things they were involved in was a war where the bad guys used war elephants. Mm. And this is embedded in the minds, of course, of the Jews in the first century. This didn't happen all that long ago. It's really think the, the Lord of the Rings movies, you know, with these huge elephants with, oh, yeah, yeah. with people on them. You can read about that in some of the books that that were written in Greek and, and aren't really part of the Bible, but were written in those days, the... The book of two Maccabees has war elephants in it, trampling wow. people and stuff like that. So it would have been an imagery of, I guess the modern equivalent would be a tank. So the story then, the metaphor then that would have been widespread is, I guess, is it's sort of like trying to get a tank, drive a tank uh -huh. through an eye of a needle. Okay. But Jesus changes the imagery <laughs> from trying to drive a tank through the eye of a needle to trying to drive some old jalopy that won't start through the eye of the needle where it's it's much smaller but the problem isn't just the size the problem is that it is the attitude is the stubbornness is the you can't rely on it and it's not relying on god oh that's beautiful to, to take to take us from tanks you know powerful self-propelled run through a wall but get it through an eye of a needle and instead to make it a camel uh, back on your heel spitting biting you if you try to get yeah, that's 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 a beautiful description of not entering the kingdom yeah i, I have heard that parable also explained uh, the the camel through the eye of the needle as you know there being the the gate called the eye of the needle and you have to get the camel down on its knees and you have to unpack it unburden it uh before it goes through that what, what about that interpretation of that parable conrad i've looked into that and there doesn't seem to be much evidence to support it it mm -hmm. looks as though that was um in the in the 19th century 
somebody made a fictional story about that in order to explain it. And it does a very good job. It's a good children's story to explain this and and being about stubbornness and the, the stuff that holds you back. It's a, it's a good way of explaining the story. But I think it started out as a piece of fiction, not as a true thing. Uh, One commentator in the early 20th century mentioned it in their commentary because it was such a good and apt illustration for understanding this somewhat confusing imagery. But because it got it's because it showed up in a commentary, then the next commentator saw it in a commentary and reported it as if it was fact. Oh. And from there, it sort of snowballed. So it looks very much as though that is a useful story for explanation purposes, but has no historical background. It wasn't what Jesus was doing. And the problem was that a, a lot of commentators in the early 20th century, they just had no sense of humor. And, and, <laughs> and so they were, they were looking for interpretations for these strange sayings. And, and because it was a strange saying, they had to make it a not strange saying. They had oh, to make okay. it something that Jesus could be very serious about. And I'm not sure that Jesus was quite like that. The, the point is not, it's going to be really hard and you have to get down on your knees and unburden yourself. The point is, yeah, it's impossible. And even if it were possible, you'd be sitting back on your heels and not willing to do it. Yeah. Jesus loved to use absurd imagery. He, he loved to use things that would surprise people. And that was one of his teaching methods, of course, because it's the surprise that tells you the very thing that he wants you to remember. And in this case, it's, it's not possible for us to get rich people through the eye of a needle. It's not hmm. possible for people that depend on themselves to be saved. But sometimes God can find a way to shake people up and get them there. So in that sense, maybe daily bread and depending on God for things like the clothes we wear is is good practice because we're not very good at being dependent on other people. We're we're like camels trying to be taken towards the eye of a needle. We just don't want it. I, I mean, I'd rather... <laughs> I've, I'm writing this book on on delight. You know, you've you've done some very helpful uh, comments, and you've been reading that along with me, and I appreciate that. Thanks. I, I found that the the song I did it my way, the Frank Sinatra song, is is like the most popular song and has been since just a couple of years after it was written. So pretty much my entire life, the most requested popular song at in funeral home funerals in the United States and the UK is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. Oh, uh, and I think that that speaks to this rugged individualism. We don't like needing other people. We see that as a weakness. Rich people in the days of Jesus or us today, we, we've got plenty of stuff and we rely on ourselves and our retirement plans and our 401k. And it's really, really hard to, to actually need Jesus. And I think today as well as back then. So I just wonder if this daily needing and daily receiving even something like what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear becomes training for depending on Jesus for bigger things too. Yeah. Yeah, that self-reliance. Boy, he, he would not like that song. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we'd rather be goats. Goats can survive in the wild by themselves. Sheep can't. I'd, I'd rather be a goat. It just puts me on the wrong side of the sheep and the goats, though. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, at the farm when we would sit down to, to eat, one of the prayers that we would say, Luther suggests it as a prayer. It's actually a quote from the psalm, and it's a psalm that's on page 81 of the Pondre New Hymn Journal. Uh, it's that those last couple of verses of Psalm 104 on page 81. And, and Luther invited people to pray, not just come Lord Jesus, 
uh, but also the eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. And having that as a regular meal prayer, I think, gets uh, at the heart of that, depending on Jesus for the needs of today, as well as for the needs of eternity. As a kid, I never realized that it was talking about animals at that point. I mean, of course, people too. But first and foremost, all these animals and storks and uh, birds and creatures in the sea and beasts of the field, that's kind of what's in view in Psalm 104. And we are added to that cacophony, that zoo full of animals uh, that naturally and obviously depend on God for everything they need right this second, right today. And that's a wonderful attitude of the heart to practice that maybe helps us move a little bit more towards sheep and a little away from goats. Mm. Well, Conrad, before we're done today, is there anything that, that jumped out at you in the hymn or in the Bible reading or in our conversation that might be an invitation from Jesus to just take a small next step this week following him? There really is. It's a step that I'm sort of partway through making. I've been making a concerted effort to... When I pray, start with praise before I get down to things that I'm asking God for in my life. Start with how great God is rather than start with my life. And you've really reinforced that, you know, from your, from your mock genie <laughs> moment <laughs> on. The, and, and I've become aware as we were talking of what a difference in perspective it makes if you start by looking at the little thing and then it's hard to imagine the huge God fitting in there. Yeah. Whereas if you start with the huge God and watch him focus on the little things, it, it falls into place. Hmm. So I'll have that perspective as I'm, as I'm continue my efforts to think about his greatness before I think about my little life. I now will have that perspective from this hymn and from our talk and the twinkle in his eye at the same time. Thank you for that. Hmm. Thanks. That's a great next step. I, I think when I was looking up a couple of these images, I found a note from my grandmother written in her hand right after our, our Kate was born. And she was just writing a little note. And I think maybe my next step for this week will simply be to add that that prayer that I learned from my grandma and grandpa to my mealtime prayers this week and remember how I'm receiving from God's hand even even the little things. And that will help me put the big things in perspective too. Hey, thanks for sharing this time with me, Conrad. We follow Jesus better when we follow him together and you are someone I just delight following Jesus with. Thank you. Thank you. That was Conrad Gempf from the London School of Theology we talked about chapter 8 in Pondera New, a hymn journal of trust and confidence from Next Step Press. I'll link to some of Conrad's other resources in the description of this podcast. I'll also share some of the recent articles from the Next Step community blog that touch on a similar theme. This episode of the Next Step podcast was made possible by the support of Next Step patrons. We especially welcome Valerie. She's a new Next Step patron this month. And Anne has been with us since back in March. Anne and Valerie, thank you for your regular monthly support. That encouragement helps us produce these kinds of resources that invite others to delight in taking a next step following Jesus. 
If you'd like to consider becoming a Next Step patron, there's also a link in the description of the podcast today. Thanks so much for joining Conrad and me in our discussion today. I wonder what kind of next step you might take. Are you going to go back and maybe read some second Maccabees to hear about those war elephants a little bit more? Are you going to read the New Testament Gospels and look for ways that animals show up in the teachings of Jesus? Or maybe you'll add that psalm to your mealtime prayer, The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. If you don't know it, if you haven't used it, maybe try it on for a week and see how it fits. It helps me and my family again need Jesus in our everyday life. And that's really what it's all about. You've got that promise that no matter what you're facing next, your Heavenly Father knows. He knows that you need food. He knows that you need clothing. He knows everything you need to support this body and life. You can be like the birds and absolutely wholeheartedly depend on Jesus for absolutely everything, day in and day out. You can even practice not being a goat, completely self-sufficient and not needing anybody for anything. Just don't be a camel, stubborn and spitting. That reminds me, I think I'm going to go watch Aladdin one more time. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.